This is the podcast between an old school mentor and a digital mentee on managing and or working with people, navigating a career, growing profits, and not killing your coworkers along the way. Now let's join the consultant, Hayden Shaw, and the millennial who fixes Hayden's iPhone, Seth Tower Heard. It's the millennial minus the consultants plus another millennial. Adam Kyle joins me on the consultant and the millennial because Hayden Shaw, the guy I normally do this with, uh, when I said you should hire him, apparently too many people took my advice and now he's got to be out for a week. So that happens sometimes. Adam, Adam Kyle of Harrison Gray Search and of Brothers Leather, actually, I think our most popular guest to date. So decided to just have you step into the um, the co-host chair. I actually have a lot of bots that I have just download the podcast to make it look like I'm <laughs> and that's so that's what I do. You've invested in your own ego. M- most podcasts that I'm on I'm the most popular it's because I have all these bots that I <laughs> that I've triggered. Um we're going to be talking about actually since we're both elder millennials I'm going to quote um uh I'm going to quote Star Wars here which was the first time I ever heard the phrase delusions of grandeur. Yeah, uh, I think that was in uh, Star Wars, the the second one, Empire Strikes Back or whatever. Uh, we're going to talk about ha- not having delusions of grandeur and actually just growing at a sustainable, not insane pace, because you might be one of those people that's going to go on and found Uber or Twitter or something and grow at an insane pace. But then again, if you were going to be that, I bet you would have already done it. So why don't we talk about growing at a regular pace that's going to sustain, uh, you know, whether you're in a corporation, family business or nonprofit, that's like not going to kill everybody involved and make you run out of money. Uh, and that's going to be the topic here. Um, Adam, if you could just give I'm, I'm going to turn my volume up. so I'm going to go off screen here for just a second. But if you could just give the, you know, the 30 second bio on how you got to where you're at, which is running two companies. Uh, go ahead and do that now. Yeah, so uh, 2013, I left um, left a company I was working for and decided to start my own search firm. And uh, I had come from a corporate background. I'd come from a background where I was leading uh, an organization and a number of people and was responsible for up to $40 million in revenue and uh, went into the executive search world, did really well, started in my own firm. And then my boss, my ex-boss sued me because he said I was violating my non-compete. And during that time, um, you know, we were spending a lot of money on legal fees. And so I was, had like kind of, uh, you know, an, an own an oh moment as I'll call it. <laughs> uh, as I'm looking at my checking account dwindling the money we'd saved. And so I decided uh, I was looking for a leather bag. I couldn't find one that I liked. Um, at a good price, and so I decided to put $2,000 towards a new business just to try to generate some revenue in case he got my company shut down, in case we had all these legal fees, and um, and then Brothers Leather took off, and Harrison Gray was growing as well, and then I spent the last five years trying not to drown, um, <laughs> and I have without a life jacket, and it's worked, but you know we've we've got through it. So that's a long, that's a short-winded answer of how I've got to. Running two companies. And I, I would say both you and I are old souls, like kind of um, half World War Two generation trapped in millennial bodies, as Hayden would say, if he were here. Yeah. Uh, and that we're both more traditionalists when it comes to uh, I, I grew up in, around farming and family business. Uh, and I, I think that's where it came from for me. But you and I both have a different kind of idea than a lot of the like millennial, like let's have a pool table and create an app and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. do all that stuff. Right. Yeah, totally. 
I think my so I think my biggest pet peeve is right now is that people have forgotten that most great companies have taken a long time to build. Um, and it's the reason that like Bitcoin and crypto went nuts for a while because everybody saw people getting loaded overnight. And so it became really popular. And I think the same thing happens with business. Like we like we you know, we have these influencers who make it sound really easy, like on social media, on Twitter, um, on LinkedIn. And they're, and they're doing a good job of growing their personal brand, but they make it sound like anybody and their mom can be an entrepreneur. Anybody and their sister um, can make a million, can, you know, have the life they want to have. And while I believe that, it's not as easy as it sounds. And I think people get a false reality of what it takes to become a successful entrepreneur or successful business owner. And the and we forget about the pain and the agony that it takes to get here. And I'm just going to expand this as well uh, because you know we, we're seeing that we've got you know kind of three kinds of listeners. So we've got people in the nonprofit space, people in the corporate space, and then people in the family business space, right? And I have worked in all three of those settings, and I've seen all three of those settings um, go very wrong uh, as far as um, uh, trying to grow too fast. And that actually being what kills them. I'm, I'm actually going to uh, I'll, I'll use an example. I don't know if I have the authority to use, but whatever. Uh, there was a company called VeggieTales. It was like Christian kids cartoons about vegetables oh, in yeah. the 90s. Um, yeah. And kids still watch that. your kids still do watch it. So yeah. what happened to that company is they went from wildly successful to thinking that they literally could not fail at anything. And they wound up uh, hiring like 10 people a week every week because I knew somebody that worked there. Uh, and then when they had a movie that didn't go as well as they thought it was going to go it bankrupted the whole company and the same thing can be said to be um you know that's obviously a corporate example um family businesses and nonprofits. i've seen um you know i've seen nonprofits with ridiculous goals that spent way too much money um that just burned through cash that all of a sudden um it wasn't the fact that they were bad at something that killed them it was the fact that they just ran out of money uh and yeah. that's on the leadership and the management to um for thinking that they had these delusions of grandeur Adam, I need 10 seconds. Okay, so you said that you've had an approach to go slow here. And, you know, you're running two companies. They're both working. uh, And you're not adding 75 employees, you know, a a year or whatever. So as a manager, how have you you looked at this day to day, right? Because if you're in management uh, or leadership, and Hayden's talked about the difference in leadership is a to-do list you can't get done that week, right? But both of those two kinds of roles should be thinking about growth regularly. And if you're not growing, if you're not going somewhere, I mean, the recession cometh, I'm going to say it on about every third episode until you get good and scared, it's going to get a lot harder to make money. Um, no matter what context you're in. Uh, totally. So you, you need to be thinking about growing because you need to be thinking about how you're going to survive the famine. Um, yep. But if you grow too fast, you're also like not going to be here in six months because there's only one thing that shuts down corporations, family business, and nonprofits, and that's running out of cash. I, yep. I, I have seen one business fail because the, they were making money and the partners hated each other. I've seen that once. Every other time, it's running out of cash. You can grow your way out of cash real fast. Totally. So, That's, and that was that was a, that was a challenge with brothers. Honestly, for a long time, is you know we're making we make you know we operated on a back order for eight months, meaning that we didn't really we would take orders and then we would place our orders. You know, we would then we would make the the backs is what we would do because we didn't have the cash to have. And then we got to we grew to a place where I knew that we were losing sales because we didn't have the inventory in stock real time. So we start making investments in our company um, to get the to, but like 
to get the stock in, which we owned us selling more, but then we had less cash. We couldn't grow. It was really difficult. And then you have taxes, which is a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, like it's really, it's really, really hard to grow effectively um, and uh, sustainably, especially in a product business. Um, but the other part, the other problem is, is that you have people coming into the marketplace, millennials, um, who, you know, like for example, I'm interviewing people for, we're hiring now at Harrison Gray and we've, we're at four people right now. Um, we're five years old. People, some people could look at that and say, man, why are they only at four people at five years? And my answer is I want a lot of cash in the bank because a, the recession cometh B I'm more concerned with what my bank account looks like than what my, you know, the one, what like an outward appearance of my company looks like and see, I'm like, you're building a foundation. You want to hire the right people. I'm not interested in people that are going to be here for two years. I'm interested in people that I can keep here for five to 10. Um, and so, you know, I had an interviewing a, a kid yesterday and he asked me this question. He's like, well, why, you know, your company is five years old, but it looks, it looks like it's a few, you know, just a couple of years old based on a staffing perspective. And he's, uh, you know, and he's like, so, you know, what do you say to that? And I said, so the answer I just gave you, like we're growing with the right people and we want to have, I want to have cash in my bank account. I want, I could have 15 people in here and I would be not sleeping at night because I don't know how I would make payroll. That could happen and companies do that. Um, but yeah, to your point, uh, it's, it's more important that you understand the internal health of your company rather than what it looks like on the outside. And what, then people lose, they get, they lose that really off really quickly. They lose that, that distinction. Yeah. So is there, how did you learn that? Like, did you see it go bad for somebody you worked for or you've always just yeah. been more of a calculated type of leader or, or what was going on there? Well, I think I made, so I think I'm uh, with brothers. We, it started growing like in its first full year, it did half a million dollars in sales. Like th again, this is a, this is a company that I thought would do. If it did, if it did 15 grand the whole year, I would have been thrilled. You know, like I just didn't think anything would come from it. And so when we did that, that number of sales and we were, you know, we had like three or four people. I was like, okay, and now I need to get a sales leader. I need to get more inventory uh, shipping people. I need to get an executive assistant, um, you know. And so I grew that, that company to like 12 people. And uh, I realized quickly that, you know, either, either I'm going to need an in, uh, uh, infusion of cash or I hire too many people. And um, I wasn't hiring people from – I wasn't – I was hiring the people because I really thought that the operation needed it. But what I missed was that I couldn't do both well. I was still running Harrison Gray, and I didn't have the time to invest in the on the brother's side. Um, so, what I guess what that taught me though was that with Harrison Gray, this is my this is the the, the company that I'm going to be running for the next 40 years. Um, I really need to make sure that I do it smart and that I hire the right people and that I grow at the right pace because it's my time. I'm training people. I'm the trainer. I'm the HR person. You know, I'm do and I'm running my own book of business. So, um, you know, I've got to be really selective with how I spend my time, and it, you know, I'm not interested in throwing money away. And that uh, that self awareness thing is one of the hardest parts of business, I think. Um, I was with a company at one point uh, that the you know the the corporate structure, the VPs, and um, maybe a couple other key leaders, and the, the the CEO who didn't last too long after I got there went away, and uh, they came back with like their you know plan or whatever. It had like fifty seven goals for the year, and like thirty four of them were priority A like had to get done. And what happened is that they hired all these new people to do new initiatives, thinking they could grow the business really fast. And basically none of the new things worked like none of them. Uh, and I, I think that that's, 
fairly like people, um, you know, on the corporate side of things or on the family business side of things in particular. Um, I think that's a fairly typical case where, uh, you know, it's like, well, we succeeded at one thing. Therefore we just, we just can't lose. Maybe the, the most glaring example of that was Starbucks went through this phase where they thought they could run a record label, which is one of the hardest things to make money at. And they started building Starbucks across the street from each other. So you didn't have to turn left into a Starbucks. You could always turn right. Uh, and they ran out of money, pretty quick and you know adjust a course and obviously they're they're doing fine now uh, but that temptation um i feel like is one of those just continual temptations of 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 leadership in particular of you know maybe i can push this further especially if you're not really in tune with your managers and how your people are doing exactly exactly and i think too that plays into this like and i fell into that trap with like after I started Brothers and Hairspray, in the first year, it was reasonably easy. Like, Brothers was making money. It, we did have tons of expenses because we were small. We didn't have a retail store. We didn't have 12 people working for us. Harrison Gray was making money. So, I, you know, I did really well my first year, and I thought, this is this is going to be great. What else can I do? I started And I started to think about, you know, uh, digital marketing consultancy, uh I actually have I own the I owned a logo and a website called Batteries, which was this idea where Batter E A Z, and it basically would ship. You'd get batteries on the regular, but you could also send them when they were dead. Send them back because we I found a way to recycle them in in an, in an effective way because no one knows what to do with batteries when you're done with them. Like you feel bad throwing them away, but you don't know what else to do with them. You can't like recycle them in the recycling. Um, and so I, I spent like five grand building this brand out that I never did anything with it because I, <laughs> everything got too hard. Like I had a legit logo guy who does stuff for Patagonia make this awesome logo, and it's sick. I still have it. Um, but I never did anything with it because I fell in this trap of like, oh, this is easy. I can start eight companies. No problem. I'll do that by the time I'm 40. And then I realized that, um, I realized that one good grows slow, and what I was doing wasn't that good. And I, it was just a good first year, but I had a long way to go. And, and then, you know, you get sucked into this idea of multiple revenue streams when I think people forget, like, you need to have a really good revenue river first, and then you can maybe look at streams to come out of that river, to, to, to add to that river. But people have little tiny revenue streams, and they're like, I need a million little revenue streams. And I'm like, no, have one great revenue river, and then when you're, when you're in that river and it's good and your life is stable and you've got time, then look for your streams. But I think people our age, man, or like, like you know, mid thirties and younger, get lost, and they just you know start focusing on how many companies can I run, how many companies can I be part of. I need to consult with 10, 15 companies. Newsflash: you can't consult unless you've done something. And yeah. There's there's so many consultants that haven't done anything, and they're trying to be consultants. And I'm like, what are you doing? You have no history. You have no track record. You can't just tell people you can help them and take you know three grand a month and call it good. <laughs> um. I'm actually one of those weird people that that's entertained by uh, responding to those cold calls on LinkedIn, particularly when they're just uh, utterly absurd of like, hey, I can do this for you. And it's twenty five thousand dollars for the strategy. I like talking to those people and trying to see them squirm and like explain why they're worth it, because I, I just I think it's funny, um, you know, and we're, we're dancing on a line here because obviously if you're not doing new things in some ways, what's the point of being in any kind of business or in, in the nonprofit space? Um, and if you do nothing, you're also going to get smashed and rolled over. Uh, and, you know, I think a perfect example is going too far the other way. Uh, was something that I may have used on this podcast before, but uh, Blockbuster had a uh, kind of infamous memo that leaked after they shut down that was like, 
a year before they went out of business, and it was why Netflix isn't a threat. And number one was people like running into their neighbors at the store. Number two was they like flipping over the DVD case and reading the back. And number three is they like picking up snacks. You know, I like all more than all those things, pushing a button. Pushing a button and it's there. Uh, and so, you know, Blockbuster had plenty of time to, you know, they started to get into the kiosk model like Red uh, Redbox did too late. Um, they could have gotten in the streaming thing. They were flush with cash, uh, but they just sat there like idiots and let, I mean, it's sort of like, uh, you know, uh, to do a, you know, a, somewhat internationally charged example i mean it's sort of like england and france in world war ii like i mean they they saw this threat for almost a decade and then they got invaded you know england not physically invaded um so i mean you can go the other way too and it's not like you or i have the answer of like how much risk or how much new stuff is acceptable but you've got to be i think aware of of dual threats yeah i agree with you and and I think you're also tapping into something where, like, same thing with Toys R Us, right? They knew the Amazon threat a long time ago, but they just figured, well, we're Toys R Us. We've been around. We'll, we'll be fine. And the answer is, in business and in life, you may not be fine. Like, you, it may not work out for you unless you adjust. And unless yeah. you think, you know, like, for example, in recruiting, a huge risk to us right now is AI. Okay. Right? Like, there's these products that com- big companies are buying that literally will – they're expensive, but they're – like a company that would use that could that might need a recruiter now in three years might not need a recruiter because they can go into the system, upload the job description, give the system eight companies they want to look for people from, give the system the I want ten years experience, I want this and that, and then in twenty four hours or probably faster in three years, but it'll bring you a list of people with their contact info, their phone numbers, their email addresses that fit your job perfectly, and then all you have to do and a lot of them have CRMs built in, so you click reach out and then it starts a it starts a email drip campaign to these people literally in 10 seconds a job that takes a recruiter you know 3 months you know 3 weeks to find those 10 people based on going through the process this system can do it for you and so the question is is and I know a lot of recruiters that are like what are you going to what do we do about this and my is I'm getting into AI because I want to find I want to be able to find those people and have the solutions so they don't have to implement this system and they might do it anyway but it's a huge risk to our industry and I'm not naive enough to think that I can do better than a robot can because I probably can't. I can build relationships better than a robot can, but um, the robot can find people faster than I can. So our company is setting up with AI because we want to get ahead of it and we want to be on the cutting edge of it. And so when our clients say, oh, we use this system, I can say, yeah, I use it too. And here are the pitfalls. Here's what you're missing. So that's just one example playing into your point of something that will will extinct a lot of recruiting firms in the next five years unless you're on, on the – Unless you're staying up with it, it's gonna it's gonna knock a lot of things out, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is we're kind of pivoting from the you know the original conversation of, about risk and oh, you, you know when to do th- yeah no, when to usually do things oh, yeah. and when to not. But um, you know, talking about uh, the, those things that could knock out your industry, one thing I think it's so fascinating about retail uh, is that retail has had tons and tons of chances. Like, I mean, you and I, um, you know, to use the term elder millennials again, I mean, we were probably amazon junkies in college right like if you were gonna buy something not the to, uh, to get my books maybe. yeah half.com um and 
I mean, it's not like Amazon was this unknown company in 2005, 2007, right? Um, and yet retail pretty much has acted the same way since Amazon really started to get to be dominant. I'm not talking about them just like kind of knocking off um, some Barnes and Noble business. I'm talking about when they got into everything. Uh, and, you know, I don't have the answer. You're in retail. I'm not. I don't have the exact answer on how retail can can outdo it other than doing a lot better, better customer service, having a lot better relationship, um, you know, and, and having better return policies and more flexibility and more solutions, right? Um, but they're still not doing it. I mean, you know, like, uh, what what is it? Something like half of retail is supposed to die, right? Totally. Um, so, I mean, you're in a retail-ish space. How are you, how are you handling that? Like, Yeah, so what we do is, one, I sell to a company that sells on Amazon for me. Okay. Because, one, it's so hard to manage all that, and it's just... Amazon's platform is not user-friendly, and the seller platform is really difficult to understand, in my opinion. So I sell to a company my products at wholesale, and then they they can sell them whatever price they want them for, but at least I'm on Amazon, because people are, some people just trust Amazon. I mean, I trust Amazon more than I trust a website. Like, I know, I bought my daughter a sweatshirt. She doesn't like it. I'm going to return it today. I'll get free shipping returns. It'll, you know, I'll get my money the second that it's scanned. I get refunded. Like, it's an insane process. And so we sell on Amazon to kind of mitigate that. But I think the the if the, the brands that are going to make it are the brands that connect with their buyers, right? Like like brands that are on Amazon now that sell in like big stores, they're going to be fine. They're still making their money. Like toilet, like we get all of our toilet paper and paper towel from Amazon. Like we have those recurring shipments. You know, those brands are fine. But like if you have a product and you're in a space that's that's you could be threatened by Amazon. The only way you're going to make it, in my opinion, is if you like connect with your buyer and you know who your buyer is and you're really focused on that and like you said the customer service has to be outstanding the the the, the response time has to be outstanding um, if they're not happy you have to make it right because um, they're going to give you one star on Facebook um, and I mean look look at Brothers Leather's Facebook reviews we have like like 67 five stars and one one star and that person was cra- that I mean I'm not going to say so that person is was very difficult to work with <laughs> We even made it right for her, and she still gave us one star. <laughs> I don't know what to do with her. Okay. Um, but uh, you know what I mean? like, And that's just a testament to having a good brand. Like, you're going to be okay if your customers love you. Yeah. And uh, that's what it's about. And retail lost that for so long because it didn't matter. They just dominated. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think that there's actually not a better example right now than T-Mobile, even though I think that I don't. I don't believe their CEO. Like the now, it's like this thing where you have to be like a quirky personality to be a CEO and like be weird. And I, I think he was just like a normal dude until he like decided to take on this persona. So that bothers me. However, I will say that you know we were on Verizon, wound up switching to uh, T-Mobile when I went out on my own because it was cheaper and you know saved thirty or forty bucks a month, right? Uh, and the fact that that like I, I love it. My my sister and brother in law share the plan with us, so they pay us cash, and I just you know yeah. pay the bill or whatever. Um, we have free Netflix, um, which Amanda and I, my sister, brother-in-law, and my mom all use. Uh, and uh, I got free MLB TV this year, uh, you know, which is like a couple hundred bucks. Uh, yeah. So those were completely unannounced. They just dropped them in. Um, and I, I think that that is a, a pretty good microcosm. And you can apply something like that in different ways, but that you've got to do something that like, you know, the bots or the Amazons or whatever, like you got to be thinking about, well, I guess this goes back to growth. You got to be thinking about over delivering on your current customers before you think about crazy growth. So to let me, let me piggyback on that with a story. I have 
DirecTV, and I've had DirecTV for six years, right? Because one, I hate Comcast, and I'll I'll never give them a dollar if I don't have to. Um, By the way, lower uh, lower customer service rating than the IRS, Comcast. Yeah, which people would rather get audited than deal with yeah. their internet company. People would rather pay money to a government where you get nothing in return other than a safe safeish place to live. Um, so, all right, so Directv. Um, my bill, like two years ago, was like you know 250 bucks, something like that. Hulu, Hulu, YouTube, TV start coming out. So I switched to Hulu last year. Direct, I called Directv. I said I'm out. My my Hulu bill was like 55 bucks at the end of the day with everything with like multiple streaming and whatever. Like with I got a few add-ons. 55 bucks for the, for everything. I called Directv. I'm like I'm out. They're like, can you please stay? I was like no. So I canceled it. They called me a couple days later and they're like, okay. What if we offered you this? 60 bucks a month for DirecTV, free Sunday ticket, which I'm a huge Denver Broncos fan, so I can't watch them here really that often in Michigan. Um, and we'll give you a $200 Visa cash gift card. I was like, okay, done. You had me. You had me at. You had me at NFL Sunday ticket. So they changed my bill from like 250 down to 60 bucks and all that stuff. This year, same thing. I switched to Hulu because I'm like, all right, it's still cheaper than DirecTV. Plus, like with satellite and West Michigan weather, it's just kind of crazy sometimes. So I switch. Same thing. Cancel. I'm like, no, guys, you guys did great for me last year, but this year I'm totally, I'm totally done. They, they call me, and they said, okay, here's what I'm gonna do this year. We'll give you it for uh, 30 bucks a month, free Sunday ticket, free Red Zone, free HBO. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> plus the Sunday ticket's like $600. I've paid for Sunday ticket before. I've paid for the package. This seems like a $600 thing with, with Red Zone. But that's a great example of, and they have that YouTube, they have that direct TV now thing, whatever, like that doesn't, my friends have used, doesn't work that well. But that's a great example of a client, of someone saying, Adam's been with us for six years. He's paid his bill every month. We have a risk to lose him probably forever because you have to get that, that satellite dish installed, like it has to be installed and they have to run the wire underneath here. You know, they have to set it all up. We're going to lose this guy forever. Let's just make it worth it because what is it to us? We're already, we already have everything. We already have the money into it. And a lot of brands don't do that. They're like, okay, see ya. You'll be back. No, we won't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, if we're kind of combining all this, and by the way, I, I do something kind of similar that's really basic, really simple because I, I live in Wisconsin at, at the moment. Uh, probably not going to be that way forever, but uh, you know we have two things that people uh, in Illinois really like, which is where actually all of my customers are at the moment. Um, uh, I've got I got a couple in Indiana, but we have Spotted Cow beer, which can't be sold outside the state, um, and then we have like cheese, and we have these baked goods called Kringles, which are like a, um, a, a Danish thing, right? So. I just will randomly, even if I don't have a meeting with somebody, I'll just drop off beer. Um, just, just be like, hey, here you go. It's your month to be appreciated. Yeah. Beer, cheese, and a Danish. And, you know, I mean, sometimes I drop 75 bucks on something like that. Uh, but people really appreciate it. They're, yeah. they're, you know, and I just walk in, leave it, don't take up any of their time for an unscheduled meeting and walk out. Yeah. Um, and so when we're talking about like how much, you know, effort and time you're going to put into growth, it seems like the first conversation is how can I do more for the people who already are spending money with me every single month? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think that, I think, I think like for Harrison Gray, it's easy because I've got like, we have like 30 to 40 clients that pay us every year. And so like at the end of the year, we do a nice gift for everybody, which 
shockingly, a lot of firms don't do. Um, but uh, two, I think it's, you know, if you if, if a client has a for some reason has a bad experience, it's what happened, why did it happen, what can I do to make it right? Those are the three questions you have to ask. Mm-hmm. What the why and the what what like what happened, why did it happen, and what do I need to do? I mean, and so many businesses don't do that. They just don't do it. And 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 the other thing too is is if you're what you're doing, Seth, is by dropping that beer off, you're being proactive because if something ever does happen. They're so much more inclined to give you the benefit of the doubt because of how you've treated them. You're not just being trying to be great when things go bad. You're trying to be great all the time. Yeah, um, let's let's close out on this because I know that you've um, you know you've been a pretty active supporter of nonprofits. Um, we haven't hit on the nonprofit space so much here, and I, I I'm curious as to your experience like, as a donor as a supporter. When we talk about this stuff of like doing more to keep your current customer, uh, as somebody who you know is a supporter of nonprofits, like what is that? What would that look like for you? <clears throat> Like, what could a nonprofit do for me? Yeah. So what is the nonprofit version of T-Mobile giving me free, you know, Netflix and free MLB TV of DirecTV giving you, um, you know, Red Zone and NFL Sunday ticket, right? So it's that's an interesting question. And here's why I say that, because when I donate to a nonprofit, I don't expect anything because I'm not doing it to get something out of it other than, I guess, maybe some personal gratification, but also that I think I'm, I'm blessed with the money that I have. And if. And if and I'm gonna I'm going to give a portion of it, of it away every year, and so um, I guess I don't I guess you know not to punt on your question, but I don't you know uh, I don't look for anything and I don't view myself as a consumer or anybody that that really needs anything from a nonprofit because they're yeah. doing the work that I'm not willing to do, quite frankly. Um, however, what I've seen, what I've really the the the, donate, the causes that I support, I really appreciate transparency in how they spend their money. Um, I appreciate. Uh, updates, right? Quarterly or monthly updates on what we're doing, where we need help, where we need prayer, where we need whatever. Uh, and I appreciate, like, you know, when if you have to call them to get something, an efficient someone that's like, oh, I need this document, or oh, I, you know, I need to know where to send my check or whatever. Just someone that's competent that can, you know, take, you know, make the most use of your time, right? So I love the transparency. I love, um, I love knowing what's going on. But I don't view it as something that I need, you know, if I don't donate again, it's probably not because if you did something wrong, probably because I found another organization that I want to help. I'm actually going to say that you didn't punt on that. I think you answered it uh, and that, you know, what are the things that go above and beyond? It's knowing exactly what they're doing with the money. Um, and helping you if you need something like you need a tax form or, or something like yeah. that, or you have a question. So we actually did answer it. Like, oh, so, right. well, good. um, so I, so just to, uh, to, to put a bow on all this, um, once again, um, it really is about first taking care of what you got and being way over the top fantastic with the people you already have. And then you can, you know, I would say that now is the time maybe even to be a little more conservative while the economy's good. And then, um, you know, family business, nonprofit or corporation, uh, then you're going to have plenty of time where everything in the world is pretty cheap coming up. And that's a better time to take risks because, um, you know, if you have money, there's more opportunities in the future than when you're, I mean, Every everything costs too much right now in the business space. Like everything, like employees are getting paid more than they have any business getting paid, and good for them, right? Yep. Um, you know, any kind of materials, office space, everything's overpriced. So, if you can just do kind of the old school Bible thing where you're stocking up wheat in a warehouse for seven years for the seven years of famine, you're gonna win in the next chapter of the American economy. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, that's why it's important to be focused on what's going on on the inside than yeah. how it looks on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, let's, um, I, I am just thinking about too, uh, specifically in corporations and family business, how, um, how I've seen people make bad decisions because yeah. they want to look cool. Yeah. Um, no. Especially when they're, you know, they're they're doing the business version of maxing out your credit card to eat out and buy expensive clothes. Um, and and there is an ego thing there. I mean, I've seen it with CEOs and in industries and stuff, too. Like they want to have a certain they want their yeah. business to look like a certain thing. Like so when I walk in a company, if I have a client and I'm consulting or whatever I'm doing and I see I see a bunch of if it's a startup, a newer company or like five years old. And I see like I walked in this company the other day. They've got. I mean, their their offices are are like pristine. They've got this podcasting booth. They've got um, which, by the way, I don't even have that, and I <laughs> I'm involved in like seventy five thousand downloads a month, and I don't have a booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've got a booth. They've they've got an amazing layout. They've got five or six people, and so we're we're talking, we're going through the numbers, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at their numbers, and I'm like, what is going on? And it turns out they used all that to on their line of credit, thinking that that would that would really help attract talent and that would improve productivity. And this is just, this is just, and this goes into the people that I'm interviewing now. They look at my office. I have very, I have a very humble office space. We've got three offices in here. It's not that big, but my rent is 800 bucks a month. Like that, cause that's, I, I would rather spend that than, than two grand a month on my office, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so, but they asked me the question like, well, this doesn't look like you're healthy. Like that's, that's not what they're saying, but that's what they're saying. And I, my answer is, I'm I'm more healthier than I've ever been because this stuff doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is finding the right people that are gonna work hard and you know our our people make a lot of money when they op when they're operating at a high level and that's what I care about and I don't care like I, I'll get there I'll have a sweet office one day but I'll own the building and I will have cash and I'll build the whole thing out with cash that's what I'll do it's just gonna take that's the good grow slow right mm -hmm. you, your company's five years younger than mine you've got sweeter digs than I have you have more people than I have but you're financially you have no money you're going to be out of business in six months with a ton of debt on your head you know i every time i've been with a company that went through layoffs they did some sort of remodeling project the same year they did layoffs yeah i mean that's not that's not a universal rule but every time i've seen it man uh you know people bought an expensive whatever conference room or couch or whatever and then there was one less person there totally totally it's just it's just you're, you're focusing on the wrong things and I would rather I would rather work for a client that's got really average humble office spaces with two million in the bank account. That's who I, that, that that's a healthy company. Not someone that may look like they have the money that they don't have. Adam Kyle, Harrison Gray Search and Brothers Leather, if you just want to kind of shout out what you do as we wrap this thing up, man. Yeah, the old plug sesh. Uh, you can if you need help finding good people for your company, um, you can find us at HarrisonGraySearch.com. There's also a chat bot that looks like it's me, but I do respond really quickly when I see that thing hit, hit up when you uh, log on the website. Um, and then if you're looking for a sweet uh, leather bag or journal with your company's logo, that's becoming a big part of our business now is custom branding. Um, so we can custom brand your logos on our products. Um, that's brothersleathersupply.com. Check that out too. This is the and you know you at this point you probably know what Hayden and I do but peopledrivenresults.com uh digitalprofitfarm.com you'll find us whatever. I uh, also check out the consultant and the millennial Facebook group and Hayden will return next week.